Hello everyone, C-Bain here and welcome to another episode of the Revival Church Podcast. How you guys doing? It's been a minute. Um, spring is here. Uh, officially, it's already been here, but it is really, really, really nice and getting to the point to where it is stopping getting cold over and over and over. Um, if you've ever lived in this portion of the South, you understand how bipolar the weather can be. So um, I'm thankful that it's getting warmer. This is really my time of the year. There's a part of my soul that dies around uh, October and doesn't really revive until right now. So I'm feeling good and uh, I'm happy to be spending some time with you guys today on the podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, so uh, today we're going to do another sermon episode. Um, last week was Easter. Um, I hope you had a great Easter with your family and uh, you, uh, and you know, I hope you had a good time hunting eggs or eating candy or whatever it is that you did with your family. I hope that you had a good time, but more than anything, um, I hope you took some time to thank the Lord for, uh, you know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that we get to take part in that resurrection ourselves. Um, always good to take time to think about that and, uh, it really, it should happen all the time, not just once a year. Amen. So anyway, um, today we're kind of, um, we're kind of continuing with that theme a little bit, but instead of, um, instead of it being about what Jesus is to us, this is kind of going to be about what we are to him and, uh, the effect that we can have on him. Um, I don't want to, um, and I know I say this every single time we do a sermon episode, but um, I don't want to give any spoilers whatsoever um, because this sermon in particular is very important to me personally. Um, there are really only a few things um, that I can say definitively have changed my life. Um, and everything, particularly when it comes to the Word of God, everything that you expose yourself to will change you one way or the other. It will either affect you in the sense that you become more callous to it and you um, you don't let it affect you in a positive way or it can affect you in a positive way and make you, you know, change the way that you behave and all of those things. But it's never going to be a neutral change. Um, neutral change, that's not even, that doesn't even exist. But anyway, <laughs> um, basically what I'm saying though is there's, there's only a few moments in your life that you can look back on and say, yeah, I listened to that and it made me think about the world differently. Um, and this sermon is that for me. Um, when I first started doing the podcast, um, and I started listening to sermons and, uh, you know, finding things that, that I wanted to put out on the show. Um, this was honestly the first one that I came up with and it is because it's so special to me. Um, but I wanted to hold on to it and I just kind of feel like now is the time. So that's why we're putting it out here, but it's my favorite servant of all time and, uh, it has yet to be dethroned. I've heard a lot of good stuff, but this one is my favorite. It may not be your favorite, but for me, um, it really changed the way that I look at a lot of things. Um, so I'm hoping that it does you some good today when you listen. Um, and, uh, I'll talk a little bit more on the back end of this thing, um, but before we get to that, um, just wanted to say thank you again for listening. Um, go ahead and give us a like on Facebook. Give us a, an email at revivalchurchpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or anything like that. Um, really wanting to push the Facebook thing. Um, if you if you have anything that you want to see in, in future episodes, anything you like, go ahead and try to get on there and start a conversation. There's a... There's a there's a lot that we can do in the community um, to grow closer together and learn from each other. That's really the whole point of what we're doing. Um, so, uh, yeah, just uh, go ahead and get started on that if you if you have the time to do so. Um, also on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, anywhere that you get this podcast, um, just go ahead and give us a five-star review and... Uh, you know, say something nice on there if you get the chance. Um, it really helps us as far as other people finding the show, and uh, that will uh, that would be very helpful for us. So, um, anyway, without any further ado, um, we're gonna get into this sermon today. I hope you enjoy it. Um, this is called "Give Me to Drink." 
then cometh, it's in John chapter 4, verse 5. I'm going to read five verses there down to verse 10. Then cometh he into a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Boy, you know this text so well, it's almost redundant to read it again. The woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered, said to her, Thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And again, I'm telling you, in the, in the midst of those weeks where I was kind of trying to just reestablish my, my mind and my, my relationship with the Lord and, and uh, completely separate from preaching and, and that kind of thing. This one thought was the only one in all those weeks, I can truly say, that came to me. And it's not, this may not be a theological breakthrough that maybe you came hoping for this morning, um, but it was in my heart to say these things, and so let's see where it goes. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. You know the, the passage so well that it's tempting not to even read it again, but we did. And uh, a, I guess it's true of every story, of every parable that Jesus told, of every story, of every account in the Bible, I guess. I guess there are parts of it that we, we just overlook as being incidental. There are parts, there are lines, there are words that are used. And Jesus spoke words in all of his parables, all of his teachings. And I can't tell you how many times I've looked at them and, and something would jump out at me that uh, hadn't jumped out ever before. And I kind of just thought of it as just, it was just taking up space in the book. You know what I'm saying? And you know, there's certain lines you don't pay attention to. And there's one line in this, one line in this uh, uh, encounter that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman, the one line that I've never paid any attention to, I always just considered, subconsciously anyway, just assumed that it was a throwaway line. This was a line, this is what we, I guess, in every conversation, particularly with strangers, uh, you, you, if you're going to have a conversation with a stranger, you need what's known as, a, as an icebreaker. I mean, you know what an icebreaker is. I'm not talking about something you literally break ice with. I'm talking about in a conversationally, in a social setting, there are icebreakers. Public speakers have icebreakers. Some of them start out with a funny story, a joke. Uh, icebreakers are a way that you can kind of get your foot in the door with people. You can open up a conversation that you want to lead somewhere else. And uh, a lot of times you use uh, trivial things or you use throwaway lines to, to initiate a conversation that you would hope would lead to deeper things. And, and the first line that Jesus spoke to this woman, he was sitting on the well, and, and I didn't read the whole text. If you read up above that, he told his disciples, he said, I must needs go through Samaria. He, he, he was drawn there. And really, as far as we can see, everything that happened happened right there at that well. Now, we're going to hold the story right here for a second. I didn't intend to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, everything that happened in Samaria, as far as I can tell, happened there at the well. Uh, the story is the woman came and, and the things that we just read happened. And then uh, he, she said, um, he, he told her, said, go, go, go get your husband. She, she, she said, well, I don't have a husband. And she, he said, well, you're right about that. And you've been married about five times and now you're shacking up and, and um, uh, it's bad. And, and then uh, she changes the subject. She began to talk about um, really the split in the kingdom, the split in the kingdom that happened back in, uh, after Solomon died. Rehoboam and Jeroboam split the kingdom, and Jeroboam said you should worship in this mountain. And Rehoboam and the, and the, the two southern tribes said you should worship in Jerusalem. And so she, she began that theological argument in order to change the subject from her personal failings. So she starts a theological argument, says, there, Our father said you should worship in this mountain, Dan. 
uh, in the high places, in the groves. There were pagan worships that went on up there. And in Jerusalem, that was where uh, the Jews had originally worshipped. And so she tried to start that. And Jesus said that, you know, that the time cometh and now is that, that they that worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Oh, and then she said, well, well, she said, I know this, that Messiah cometh and He will tell us all things. And Jesus kind of looked down from behind his glasses and grinned and said, He that speaketh with thee is he. All of a sudden it ran down her spine and boy, she took off running. She dropped the water pot, the Bible says. The very thing she came to get, she dropped the water pot and she ran into Samaria. And she's running through Samaria and she says, Come, see a man who told me all things whichever I did. Come see a man who knows things that he should not know. Come see a man who, and, and the Bible says that she began to tell the, the, the Samaritans, many of them believed. Jesus is still sitting on the well. Now the disciples who had gone into town to buy groceries, come back. Y'all still got it paused up here where I told you to pause it, right? We're going to pick it back up here in just a second, but I got to finish the story. Jesus the disciples come back and Jesus is still sitting on the well. They don't know that the woman has come and gone. They don't know that he has just told this woman all things that ever she did. And as they spoke, she was running through the city, banging on the door, saying, Oh, there's a man out by Jacob's well who told me all things ever I did. And just something in the lilt in her voice, something in, the, in, in just the expression that she made, people began to believe her and people began to get out of their houses. Back in those days, they didn't have 327 cable channels. They just, when, they, when Jesus was there, when something miraculous, when something spontaneous, when something beautiful was happening, people actually got up and came out, got their friends together, called their neighbor, friends, I'm not talking about Facebook friends, I mean real friends, remember those? Anybody remember having any of those? Somebody told me, said they had 500 friends. I said, you have no friends, otherwise you wouldn't be spending all your time on Facebook. <laughs> That's the truth. But that was a day when, when something was going on. People were curious enough. And some people actually gathered enough information that they began to believe. And, and as Jesus is sitting there on the well, this woman is running up and down the streets of Samaria, banging on doors, jumping up in the town square. And she's announcing this. And Jesus is still sitting on the well. And here come the disciples with groceries. And they said, Master, eat. He said, I have meat to eat of, eat that you know not of. And they said, well, who, who, who fed you? Did somebody come feed you while we was gone? He said, you dummy. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And the Bible says that those people of Samaria got up from their dinner tables, and the Bible says they began to come out. And they were coming towards Jacob's well, and there was a throng of people coming down that road. And Jesus sitting there on the well, maybe had his legs crossed, and the disciples sitting there much on a sandwich. And Jesus said, uh, fellas, Picture this. He said, say not that it is yet four months and then the harvest. Turn around, guys, and look. Lift up your eyes. Here come the people of Samaria. He said, the harvest is ready and white already to harvest. They're coming to us right now. People are flocking down to Jacob's well. Everything that Jesus needed to do was being done right there at the well. The harvest was coming to them. The harvest was just the, the white and ready harvest was coming down the road. And he was saying, spit out your sandwich, man. We got business that has nothing to do with the food you eat, but to do the will of him who has sent us. Amen. Amen. So everything Jesus had told them, or Jesus had said, I have needs to go through Samaria. And really the only thing he did happened there at that well. 
So this was a designed, and this was not an incidental meeting. This was an ordained meeting through which he could meet that whole throng of people who were coming to him, the harvest actually rushing the silo. It was a setup, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful, and everything that he had hoped would happen, happened. Every, the, it was the best case scenario. All happened by a woman whose reputation was horrible and whose lifestyle had just uh, been left, left quite a bit to be desired and no doubt was not revered in her community, but because she experienced something at Jacob's well, she went and told, and then the harvest came. Rush the silo, and all Jesus was trying to do is get his disciples to spit out the, wing, the ring ding so that they could harvest what was coming to them. Am I doing all right? So he said, I must needs go through Samaria, and sits there on the well, and the woman comes, and he makes this request. And this is the line that I always just threw away. This was the icebreaker that I always just assumed this was his way of initiating a conversation. He said, give me to drink. Well, then you know the story. She says, how, how is it thou being a Jew asking me, which is Samaritan, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritan. How is it that you're saying to me, give me the... He said, well, if you knew who it was who was asking you to drink, asking you for a drink, you would ask him. He'd give you water that you would never thirst again. And so I always just assumed it fits, it makes sense. But something new occurred to me, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I know that I'm right in a, in a larger sense. Maybe there wasn't a throwaway line. Maybe that wasn't just an icebreaker. Maybe that was not just a conversation initiator. Perhaps the Lord was thirsty. And perhaps it wasn't just a roundabout way of me getting what I want. Maybe what I want is inextricably linked to what He wants. But we are so self-focused in our approach to God. We have been trained by every preacher. We have been trained by, by, by uh, I guess, just Christianity at large. We have been trained that this is really all about us. And this is about what we want and what we get and what we need and how we, there's a thousand different formulas out there through which we can extract or expunge from him what we want from him and to leave the rest. There's a thousand different ways to do that. And we, we a lot of times we, whatever service we give to him, whatever praise, whatever adoration we give to him, it's almost been ingrained in us that it is a ploy, that it is simply a tool that we use to get something from him. When the Lord's prayer began and the Lord was trying to teach his disciples how to pray, the first thing he said is, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, holy, separate, different is thy name. And how many times when we recite the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hold it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us! That's just the perfunctory little thing that we say. That's the icebreaker to get to the important part. Give me, deliver me, lead me not into temptation. Maybe that's just the part we use. That's just the trick we use. We're just buttering the good Lord up so that we can later get everything we need. And we have been trained and conditioned. I say we, maybe I shouldn't say, maybe you're not. But I've been conditioned that when we praise Him, we're praising Him because we have a need. And when we worship the Lord, we're worshiping Him because that's a roundabout way of, of, of leeching from Him what we need or what we want or whatever our desires are. And then sometimes we will even become defensive and angry if we issue that praise and we don't get what we seek. We feel like, oh, listen, how many of you have been guilty when something really goes bad in your life to say, I paid my tithe for the past six months. I was current. And I've been going to church, I've been worshiping the Lord, I've been singing and all of that. And, and, and ingrained in that attitude is, is a betrayal of, of an attitude, which is saying, I did all of that, I, I was just offering you this drink because I was something that I wanted from you. 
I didn't offer it to you because you desired it or because it was pleasant to you. I offered it to you because I hope to get something pleasant for me. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's really a self-focused when Jesus sat on the well, he said, give me to drink. And maybe he was and maybe he wasn't physically thirsty, but I don't think it was a throwaway line. I think he was teaching me in that, that before we ever get to you, before we ever get to your five husbands, before we ever get to your life and your problems and your issues, then I've come here to where you are. And really, it would please me if you offered me something. I desire something, not just so that I could turn it around and give it back to you, but I desire something from you. And maybe, and as I said weeks ago, and I thought about this, I thought, I'm here, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm trying to just soak everything, and I'm trying to get my mind, and I thought, God, maybe you really want something from me that is not attached to anything you're going to get back. Maybe you just met me here and said, I want a drink. I want something from you. Maybe... It was a throwaway line, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe he was thirsty. I know that he thirsted. What were the last words that Jesus said prior to saying it is finished and giving up the ghost? What was the last words he said? Was it said, today you will be with me in paradise? No. He said, I thirst. We don't think of him ever wanting anything or ever needing anything. It's all about the thief on this side or the thief on that side. Or it's all about John uh, with his mother, with, with Mary, his mother. It's all about those. It's never about I'm needing something or I'm desiring something of you. We just don't think about him that way. And anything that he expresses a desire for, we automatically assume that it's only a tactic or a motive or, or a mode or a method to get something from him. Worship was not designed, and I know, I believe this. He made promises. He said if we'll be faithful in this, he would bless us in that. That if we would do this, that he would do that. But I wonder sometimes if we do not deal with him entirely from a selfish perspective, doing what we do only with the desire to extract something from him. And there's a thousand different people and preachers and ministers with a thousand different combinations and recipes for which you can extract this. If you need help in your marriage, if you need help in your finance, if you need help in your life, if you need help in your health, whatever it is that you need, there's a certain formula. You can push these certain buttons and, and the Lord just responds like an ATM and he spits out the blessing. And everything we issue to him, everything we offer to him is attached to something we hope to get back out of him. But I want if he, if he met us here today and he said, I just want a drink, would we be willing to offer him a drink? Would we be willing to pull something up from the well of our soul and give it to him? In your reading this week, if you're caught up, you read about Isaac's wife and Abraham told his servant to go back to the, to the land of his people. And he said, I, I don't want Isaac to marry one of these ladies around here. Oh, Mary, see, so go back and he said, well, how do I know that I found her? He said, well, ask her for a drink. And if she gives you a drink and then offers you a drink for your camels, you got to keep her. She don't know. Now, if you read on the story, oh, brother. If you read on the story, they find out that this gal named Rebecca was the one. She offered, uh, she offered a drink to Abraham's servant, and then she, then she watered for all them stupid camels. And they said, well, she's a keeper. So she, she, long story short, she jumped on the camel, and she's going back to where Isaac is. And when she was yet a great way off, she saw Isaac. And she went, bang! That's what happened. She saw Isaac, and she turned to the servant and said, who is that man over there? Whew. That's what they used to say when they saw me, but... No, serious. She said, who is that guy? And Isaac lifted up his eyes and goes, she was so good looking that he had to tell everybody that she was his sister because they would have killed him and taken her away. She was a knockout. And he was obviously quite the catch. 
Because when she was riding on that camel a great way off, she didn't know Isaac from anybody else. She saw this guy over and said, hold it a minute. Who is that man right there? I want me some of that. <laughs> and the servant said, why, that is Isaac, my, my master's son. And she said, that's the guy you're bringing me here for? He said, yeah. And the Bible said that Isaac went to her and took her to wife, and he loved her, and she loved him. When I, I was reading that the other night. I was like, I like that. I can dig that. Them's, man, that, that was just, I, I mean, you can just hear the music playing. And they run and they, they get married and they are husband and wife. And then, then the story kind of clues saying, and she loved him. And Isaac loved Rebecca. Wow. But Rebecca didn't know about Isaac. And she was drawing water for the camel. She didn't know that there was a hunk of a man who was waiting down the road. She didn't know all of that. When she, he, he just said, give me the drink. And she drew water for him. And without being asked, she said, you got a bunch of camels there. I'm going to draw. And the guy said, I think I got the one. She didn't know a few miles down the road was her man. And a few miles down the road was the bloodline of the Messiah. A few miles down the road, she was going to get grafted in to a vine that would sprout until the end of the age. It was all just a giving. It was all a sacrifice. Too many times we want to draw the water with the view of what's down the road. We want to draw the water with a view of the promise. We want to be able to see our promise. We want to be able to see Isaac waiting on us down the road before we'll draw the water. But this way, that's the reason that, 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 that Abraham's servant knew that she was the keeper because she wasn't looking for anything. She was just giving of herself. And this is the one that I want to be in the, in the bloodline of the Messiah. This is the one that I want to carry on the birthright. This is the one that I want to pass on the gift Amen. through. It wasn't one who was seeking a reward for what she did, and she wasn't looking for a way to extract anything. She didn't know there was anything to extract. She just was giving water. Jesus said in John chapter 19, verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. He said that, the Scripture says here that he said that in order to fulfill Scripture. It wasn't that it wasn't true. It was obviously true. He had bled gallons of blood. He was dehydrated, and, and we'll read here in just a moment exactly how dehydrated he was. He was obviously very physically thirsty, but he expressed it here. He expressed this thirst to bring us back to a point. He expressed this thirst to introduce us to another text. He said, I thirst. And, and look what happens when Jesus says, I thirst. Y'all forgive me, I'm still halfway on that gurney. It says there were, in verse 29, it said there was set a vessel full of vinegar. And they filled a sponge with vinegar and put upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. He died there. When he said, I thirst, they took vinegar the reason he said, I thirst, the Bible says it was to fulfill Scripture. Why was he trying to fulfill Scripture? It was to bring us back to another text. Because the Gospels, y'all stay with me a second, a little Bible study here. The Gospels are a play-by-play -play account of the words and the works of Christ. That's what the Gospels were. It was as if there was a reporter there, there was a gumshoe there with a pencil and a pad, and they were writing down word for word, line for line, the things that they saw and heard. And it was just, it was just facts, ma'am, just facts. It wasn't really, it wasn't a whole lot of insight into the, the human interest aspect of the story. It was just this happened, and then this happened, and then he said this, and then he went here, and then he went away to pray, then he came back, then the disciples went to him, then the multitude followed him, then he fed these, and then he healed those. It's as if someone's following him along. If it's Luke, if it's Matthew, if it's John, if it's Mark, someone's following around with a little pad. Well, on this day he went there, and at this hour he did that, and then he sat on the well here, and he did this here, and he healed that one there. It's just reporting. It's just stating the facts. 
But there are so many blanks left by the Gospels, by the writers of the Gospels. There are so many blanks. And every once in a while, Jesus would refer us to one of those blanks. He would refer us to that gap. There's something missing. Yeah, you're reading the facts of what happened, but you can't possibly know what's going on inside of Jesus Christ himself. There's no way to know what's going on inside the Messiah until you know what he's feeling and what he's thinking. And no, no one in the Gospels really filled in those blanks. They just gave the physical facts of what was going on. And every once in a while, Jesus would point them back to another text, to another time, and he would let them know how he feels. And when he said, I thirst, this is what he was experiencing. For instance, let me, let me back up and give you Matthew chapter 27. This is the gumshoe. This is... Uh, following along. This is Matthew... Filling out the, the, on the clipboard everything that happened. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew writing. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, it was a, that was the place. That is to say the place of the skull. By the way, the interpretation of Golgotha is the place of a skull. They gave him vinegar that they gave him. I believe that was vinegar that they gave him to drink. And they mingled it with gall. They mixed it up with a sedative. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. I record as of the ninth hour and 25 minutes that they offered him vinegar mixed with gall, and he did uh, not drink. And after that, they crucified him. Uh, they parted his garments. Uh, they cast lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet that they parted his garments among them. And upon my vesture did they cast lots. That's just a cold recitation of fact. A lot of times we read this word and that is all we get is the cold recitation of fact. And we can't possibly know how much he loved us reading a cold recitation of fact. But every once in a while he would refer us back when he said, I thirst. He referred us back to a place, to a text that would tell us his perspective, what he felt. And in Psalm 22, beginning at verse 1, the very first line of that psalm tells us exactly what he's in reference to. This is a prophecy, a messianic prophecy. Are y'all bored yet? This is a messianic prophecy, giving us some insight, something beyond just the cold facts. He's going to fill in some blanks, not just what happened, but the human interest side, what was going on in his heart, in his mind, in his emotions. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You remember, those are the words of Christ. Eli, Eli, Lamai, Sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Those were his words. And this psalm begins with these words, tagging this psalm as the expression of the Messiah as he was being sacrificed. Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, oh my God, I cry in the daytime. Now hearest me. Now remember when he said, why hast thou forsaken me? He said, this is what he was meaning. I cry in the daytime where they were beating me and you didn't hear. And in the night season, I wasn't silent. But thou art holy. O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried to thee, and they were delivered. They entreated thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man. The Bible says, the Bible says that, that the shame that was on him is what he despised. The re a reproach of men and despised. You think Jesus didn't have feelings. You can just read the cold recitation of facts and, and look at him entirely differently. But if you get between the lines, this is what he was thinking. He was feeling the shame of every pervert and sicko and sinner. That he was made to be sin, the Bible says, as all of that cup. Remember as Jesus was in the garden, he was crying out. He was saying, if there be a way, let this cup pass from me. And the cup was all the sin and the shame of my wretched, despicable life and yours. 
The thing that you wouldn't tell anybody, the thing that would embarrass you if anybody knew, was in that cup, and he was about to take it into himself. And, he, and the shame and the reproach of that, he said, I'm a, I'm a reproach to men. I am a worm, and no man have you ever felt that way. He said, I am a worm, I'm not a man. The reproach of men and despised people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. You read in the Gospels what happened. The Bible said that they mocked him and they, they ridiculed him to scorn. And they did shoot out the lip. The Bible says that exactly, the exact thing happened in the Gospels. And they shake their head. They wag their heads, Matthew said. He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver, seeing that he delighted in him. This is giving you what Jesus was seeing as he was being sacrificed, as he was being butchered on that tree, he was looking down and he was seeing these things. I'm telling you, you're getting the crucifixion. You can read Matthew if you want to. You're going to get the crucifixion from Matthew's point of view. If you want to get it from Jesus' point of view. You need to read Psalm 22. You need to read Psalm 69. Are y'all still with me? He trusted in thee. He trusted on the Lord, verse 8. That he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing that he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. When I was laying in the manger, you put me there. You say, well, when I was hurting, when I was... In, bad shape I, my whole life just went before me and I saw Jesus whole life was passing before him when I was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger when I had when I took hope from my mother's breast he said you were with me you put me there you took me from my mother's belly in fact you inseminated life into her and gave it to me and now this is what I feel you say, no, that's not the Lord's will. Oh, yes. I'm telling you, there are times and they are de there are days when we need to get our eyes off of what we feel and what we want and what we need and understand that our Savior sometimes has desires of us. You wait till I read to you these things. Be not far from me, verse 11. Be not far from me, trouble is near said, and there is nobody to help me. He looks down at these sullen faces and he says, the bulls are come past me. The strong bulls of Basia, those Roman soldiers with their hammers and their, and their weapons. He said, these bulls are around me. They beset me round. They gape on me with their mouths as ravening and roaring lions. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart was like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, which is just an old, broken piece of pottery. When Jesus said, I thirst, you remember reading that in the book of Matthew? This is what he meant. My strength is dried up like an old, dried up piece of pottery. My tongue is cleaving to my jaws. Thou hast brought me to the dust of death. All Matthew heard was, I thirst. But Jesus was some, my bones are out of joint. My heart is melted. Do you feel it this morning? Matthew heard, I'm thirst, but Jesus was saying, I'm dried up. My tongue is cleaving to my jaws. You've brought me down to the dust of death. Next verse. The dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. You'd think I didn't feel that. Matthew said, and they crucified him. Jesus said, they pierced my hands. They pierced my feet. It's not getting you like it gets me. It gets me. Next verse. And I made, he said, I looked down, he said, and you can see my bones. 
And everybody's looking at me. The Bible said he was naked. And his bones were out of joint. And he was so dehydrated and so drawn. He said, you can see all my bones. And everybody's looking at me. He said, I'm a worm. I'm not a man. I'm a reproach. Everybody's laughing at me. They're wagging their heads. The bulls. The dogs. Next verse. They part my garments among them. Matthew wrote, they cast lots upon his vesture. Jesus said, those are my clothes. Next verse. Be not far from me, O Lord, my strength. Haste thee to help me. If you go to Psalm 69, verse 14, it is the same thing. Deliver me out of the mire. And let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me. And out of deep waters, let not the water flood overflow me. You ever felt like you're just being flooded? It's quiet in here and y'all don't have any idea where I'm going. But you ever felt like, just like this, you don't let me sink? You don't think Jesus felt that? He felt that. I'm sinking. I'm going under. And there's nobody around. Nobody cares. Nobody will help me. Let not the water flood overflow me. Neither let the deep swallow me up. Let not the pit shut her mouth around me. Look at it. Next verse. Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. And hide not thy face from thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Next verse. Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor, the, the reproach and the dishonor and the sin that had been bestowed upon him through that cup. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart. And I am full of heaviness. Would you look at that? The Lord, if you could, Matthew couldn't hear these words, but these were, these were the emotions. This was the human interest side of the cold recitation of facts. Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness, and I look for some to take pity, but there wasn't anybody. Oh, friends. He said, I was looking for somebody to say no. And there wasn't anybody. You think the Lord doesn't need something from us from time to time when the world mocks his name and when the world makes sport of everything that is holy and good. You think the Lord is not looking around saying, where is somebody to stand? But we, we approach him with our notepad in hand almost with just a, we don't understand that sometimes he thirsts. And it could be that he sits on this well this morning and it is he who is thirsting and maybe we could offer up our worship and our love and our praises and all of our devotions to him without regard to what might wait down the road for us. Tomorrow calamity may come, but today I will worship him in his sanctuary. Today I will bless his name. While he looks for somebody somewhere who would stand up, nobody would. He said, I looked for somebody that would take pity, and he said, there was nobody. And for comforters, I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat and my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. There's a lot of blanks in the Gospels. And every once in a while, Jesus will say something that will take us back so that we will read that. 
I don't know about you, but I'm glad I read that. He said it so that we would go back and read not just what happened, but what he felt and what he sensed and the suffering that he endured and what went on in his mind. Every once in a while, he gave us a cue. Every once in a while, he opened the book to a different page and he said, here, this is the real story. We're just so self-focused nowadays. Everything we do, even the most sincere of us, sometimes I think we do with ulterior motives. Our worship, our praise becomes nothing more than a strategy to acquire our desires. Become professionals at extracting things from him. Any request that he would make, any request that he would make of Christians today, I'm not going to say you, but I'll say I, often view it as a mere formality in order to get what I desire from him. The disciples spent three and a half years jockeying for position. Man, I wish I could control my little cold I've got. Excuse me. They spent three and a half years jockeying for position. Who's going to be on your left hand? Who's going to be on your right hand? Who's going to be the grace in the kingdom of God? Elbowing each other. They spent three and a half years doing that. They spent three and a half years... As Peter would ask him, he said, We have forsaken all to follow thee. What shall we have? Read it in Matthew chapter 19. We have forsaken all to follow you. What shall we have? We did this for you. Now, what are you going to give us? They were jockeying for position. They were angling for rewards. Who will be the greatest in the kingdom, they would ask. And one day as the, as the multitude began to disperse, Peter let the cat out of the bag. Everybody left him when, when he got a little deep with them. And, and Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Are you also going to go away? And we, we've, we've recited what Peter said. I hope you're not bored. We've recited what Peter said a thousand times. Peter said, Where would we go, Lord? For thou alone hast the words of eternal life. We're like, Wow, boy, that was something. Peter really had it. No, Peter didn't have it. You know what Peter was really saying? If we knew somebody else, we'd leave. We're here because of what we can get from you. You have the words of eternal life, and that's why we're here. If we could get them anywhere else, we'd be there. I still don't think Peter got it, and Peter never did get it until one night after the crucifixion and Jesus had risen from the grave. And, Peter, and Jesus was sitting by the seashore around the fire, cooking up some fish, and Peter came and sat down. And he said, Peter, and for the first time, he had never asked a single one of his disciples, as far as we can know in the Scripture, he had never asked, he had never demanded that they love him, never even asked them to love him. But he said, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him again, do you love me? For the first time after three and a half years of walking with him and talking with him and elbowing for a position and trying to get things from him and, and saying the only reason we're here is because we want something from you. For the first time, Jesus said, I want you to love me. I want you to love me. He never even asked them for their love. He had never even asked them for their love. Now, the first time Jesus just comes right out and says, listen, this is it, friends. I've done all there is to do. I want you to love me now. I'm not giving you anything else. I want you to love me. I don't know if you get that or not. And I think that's what the Lord would say to his church today. I've done all I can do. I have fought the last battle, which is death. I want you to love me now. I want you to be there for me now. I want you to bring me something to drink. I want you to bring your love to my house. Not in hopes to get something from me, but I want you to love me now. Do you think he's asking too much? Do you think he's being selfish? Do you think after what we've read... Jesus said, if you love me, Peter, you will feed my lambs. If you love me, you know, Peter was like, well, okay, if you love me, I'm going to give you this. If you love me, I'm going to bless you to this. No, if you love me, you will bring something to me. 
So the first time in many Christians' lives, perhaps this morning, maybe he's asking you for your love. Maybe he's asking you for your love. Maybe he wants you to bring him something to drink. Could be a throwaway line. It could be a sincere plea from a master who has never known your love. We sing the song all the time. Maybe we don't sing it as much as we used to and probably don't sing it as much as we should. But just listen to the words of it. Not the... Listen to the words of this old hymn. And it's a beautiful hymn. Don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing. But I just want you to listen to the words of it for a moment. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I don't want any more. Feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill her up. Make me whole. That's a beautiful hymn. I'm not besmirching that hymn, and it needs to be prayed. That prayer needs to be prayed by all of us. I'm afraid that's all we ever pray. I'm empty again, Lord. Fill her back up, Lord. Keep stuff in my face, Lord. Because I need saving more. Don't dare asking me for nothing, Lord. Just this morning, if we could place that, replace that old hymn with this beautiful song. And I want you, everyone, if you would, to come. Stand to your feet, and I want you to begin to gather in right now, and I want you to lift your hands. Could you, could you just lift up that cup and have it full of something when you lift it up to him and say, Lord, Paul said this. He said, I'm ready to be offered. You do a search on that. It was in reference to the drink offering. He said, I'm, I'm a cup. I'm a cup, and my whole life is just a cup, and I'm pouring it out on you. I'm offering my whole life because I love you. He's asking you for your love. You know, what did I tell you? <laughs> that's uh, that's really good stuff. Um, it's easy to assume that because he is so great that he doesn't need anything from us. And I suppose in a real sense, he doesn't. But if he wants anything from me, I should give it to him. Nothing is wasted when it is uh when it's put in his hands and i just i encourage you to take the word from this week and apply it to your life any way that i that you can um i know i have to um we can always do better and if any decisions that i make are able to make him proud or happy in some way um i need to be striving to do that as often as humanly possible um Anyway, thank you guys again for listening. Um, until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. See you later.